Hello and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. This week, my guest is none other than EF Education Nippo's Lachlan Morton. Blazing a trail as a road racing pro cyclist, but also an ultra endurance rider with a penchant for gravel. Basically, if it looks impossible, he'll do it and probably smash it in the process. The random question generator, the RQG, took us on some very interesting tangents involving evil geniuses and out-of-date power bars, while the hometown quiz focused on the nudist beaches of Port Macquarie, amongst other things. So, kick back, grab a brew or a tinny, stick your feet up. If I said stick your feet up, it doesn't matter. If you've got four feet, stick them up. If you're a spider that's watching, you'll probably have six feet, but maybe not if you're driving. I'll do that bit again. <laughs> Just get around and around. Oh, no. Are you ready? Because it's that time again. Matt Stevens unplugged by Sigma Sports. Yeah. Lachlan Morton grew up in rural Australia, where training rides consisted of out and backs, unless you took your road bike for an off-road loop, which is exactly what he did. Now riding for EF Education Nippo, Lachlan has found a team that affords him the opportunity to ride an alternative calendar. Mixing his love of road racing with events like Dirty Kanza, Leadville 100, the GB Duro and Three Peaks Cyclocross. He's fast becoming one of the biggest names in gravel and ultra distance riding. But what does he know about Australian tribute bands and how strong is his knowledge on koala-based festivals in his hometown of Port Macquarie? Let's find out. So we finally made it after a few BEST, GMT and then the other one. Uh, and that's the, that's the building in the background. We can just hear rumbling, can't we? <laughs> yep, probably. <laughs> yeah, they started, uh, I don't know, pulling out the floor or something next door. So um, yeah, right. that's exactly what you can hear. No worries, mate. It's just so we don't have view, uh, viewers, listeners uh, to be alarmed, mate. Now, for, before we kick off, mate, as I said, thank you very much for joining us. I know you're a really busy guy. Uh, could you tell us where in the world, or tell our, our listeners where in the world you are, and then describe kind of the scene around you kind of what you're looking at in the room that you're in uh yeah i'm in um i'm in girona um catalonia spain and uh it's raining outside i'm oh, just in airbnb um sort of quite close to the cathedral okay um so you can see the cathedral out the window um yeah pretty basic you know suitcases and bikes everywhere um just standard standard uh setting standard set it's rainy it's, it's lovely here in london but actually the, the, the blue sky this morning mate so uh yeah that's that must be quite unusual for girona this time of year yeah i mean uh, it, it's all it's, it's really green here if you've ever been here it's super green um, yeah, I have. Yeah, which yeah. means it does it does rain <laughs> contrary <laughs> to uh, popular belief it actually does rain quite a bit um not like london but uh, yeah we get our, our share of moisture but I don't mind it, to be honest. Um, coming from Colorado this off season, um, you just get either snow or um, totally clear days. So a bit of rain's a nice little switch up. Nice one, mate. Nice one. So, would you call Girona your? You've been in Girona for a few years now. Would you call it your kind of second home? I guess. Yeah, it's kind of. I guess um, it's my base for for when I'm in Europe uh, racing. Which, yeah. Sort of works out. I mean, um, generally it's about six months of the year. Okay. Um, okay. And then I sort of split the other time between 
Colorado and uh, Australia when we can get back, although we haven't been able to get back there for a little while now. No, of course. No, it's a difficult situation, isn't it? I mean, I know you've just um, – I was commentating, actually, mate, on the Tour of the Alps. How did that go? Because that's been your first pro race of the year. So how was it for you? Yeah. How are you feeling? Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, it. It was quite a big gap between racing for me this year. Uh, I finished at the Giro last year. Um, yeah. And so I had, like – I had a real off-season, which was nice. Um, yeah. So I hadn't really had that in a few years. So uh, – it was good. And then it's kind of like, I mean, racing nowadays, it's like you, you feel like you improve that little bit and you, you come back um, the next season to be like, all right, you know, I've stepped it up a little bit. Um, but the whole level's just risen. So you have to step it up more or less just to stay in the same place. Yeah. Um, I mean, to how. But yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy, I enjoy getting in there racing um, with the guys and. It's like, uh, it's fun uh, because, because I do a bit less of it now. Um, I really enjoy it when I get the chance to go and, and like meet up with the team and um, get into that kind of like intense Walter environment. I think that's, that's a really interesting point because you've got this, let's, let's face it, you've got this pretty unorthodox but very, very cool uh, approach to being a pro bike rider and, you, and your team as we know um, as we talked about before has given you this freedom to do so I think it's wonderful but it's it's really important to do what you do for a living and and really enjoy it because you know being a pro sometimes as you well know mate you know you go from race to race you can end up there's a danger sometimes that you can end up actually kind of almost despising what you do just dragging yourself out of bed is this horrible kind of routine but you seem to have really kind of struck that kind of almost perfect kind of balance which is a delicate and kind of a difficult thing to do isn't it yeah i mean i think um it's very easy to like uh take what we do for granted um because ultimately it is your job yeah um so you know the second you're you're required to do it and you feel like you're not doing it for for your own reasons or on your own terms, um, it can be difficult. But um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like because I've sort of stepped away from it for, for periods of time, um, I, I sort of have the perspective now that it is such a good job to have um, as long as you keep you know, the right perspective, um, which for me means, I guess, like doing a little bit less of it um, because. I want to sort of stay fresh to it in a way. Yeah. Um, And it's great because in a lot of ways, you know, every time I turn up for a race, I feel, it feels like my first year again, (laughs) you know, kind of like picking the little things up again. And um, yeah, I mean, I know for me personally, I don't think I could do it um, like only road racing full time anymore. I think, um, I think that would burn me out. So yeah, I don't know. I, I feel lucky. I'm sort of in a position where I can mix and match a bit. Um, and also, like, I think it's just being honest with yourself. Yeah. You know, as far as, like, what you what you, what you can tolerate and, like, how, how you're going to get the most out of yourself um, while still, you know, like, enjoying your 20s. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh God, yeah, and you are, you're still there, mate. You're holding on by the, the skin of your teeth, aren't you, to your 20s? I know you got like that. Yeah, just. So, 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 yeah, you're 29, so 2nd of January. Mm-hmm. So, hey, you got another kind of nearly a year of being in your 20s. Yeah, exactly. But, but you want, yeah. you know, the, the, the kind of area that you excel in in, in this sport as well, um, the endurance side of it is something that you could you could quite easily argue you could continue getting better for a long time, you know, if you, because um, it's, the endurance side of any any sport, you can see there's a lot of older athletes doing exceptionally well. So, and you could end up doing this for you know well into your kind of forties, mate. You know, if you kind of wanted to, I guess, and, and and if you keep keep the balance right, never kind of fall out of love with it. Yeah, I mean, I think um, especially with the endurance side, it's, it's so much of it's just experience, you know. Yeah. Um, which you know, the more you do, uh, the quicker you get, just because you're, you're able to manage yourself better. Um, but I think like the, the key to, to going longer, um, is just having the passion for it. Yeah. Um, so like currently I, I can't, like I'm, I'm sort of jumping between disciplines. So I'm always working. I'm never really like mastering anything, you know, right. I feel like I'm constantly <laughs> chasing something. Yeah. Um, which is actually, it's a nice way to be, to, to not be good at something. Um, because as a professional cyclist, you spend most of your time doing something you're supposed to be really good at. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like a, an expectation. Um, so it's fun to like do something you, you're not particularly good at um, and go through that like learning process. It's like it's super rewarding. I mean, let, 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 I mean that's very – I know what you mean, Lachlan, but that's kind of very, very modest of you. You are very good at it, but you're broader, aren't you? like a – like, would you? How would you describe yourself? Like this kind of enormous Australian kind of uh, Swiss Army knife with loads of different kind of <laughs> things that you can just fold out, and uh, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> uh, I'll take that. <laughs> so, you, you talked about you know you've you've had a so you did Tour of the Alps, so that started on the nineteenth. Um, you've done yeah. some other, obviously. You did the kind of two up earlier this year, didn't you? Um, uh, with, um, with, with, yeah. with with Alex. Yeah, um, that, that looked, yeah. How did yeah? To talk to me about that because that looked really, really fascinating. It's an event I've never heard of. So for anybody who's kind of again listening in and wondering what I'm talking about, can you describe that event? Because it it kind of you decided quite late in the day to to do it, didn't you? Yeah. Um, How's he stitched me up a bit? Um, <laughs> it was. It's like a it's a, a gravel event in Boulder. Um, and generally it's like a mass start. Um, old man winter, Winter it's called, isn't it? It's just going to get the name in there. Yeah. Yeah. Old man winter. Um, and yeah, it's essentially like a hundred K, uh, gravel event, but this year they, they set it up. So you had like, uh, two weekends to go and set a time on the course. Um, and with the idea, I think it was maximum of six six-person groups. Um, But Alex had done it a couple of times as a mass start event and never never won it. Um, So he was kind of like maybe a day or two before, oh, do you want to come do this um, ride? And I didn't really realise that, like, we were going to be going, like, so hard. Um, (laughs) It was basically, like, you know, he he drove down the hill to my place and then we rode out to do it. Um, and it was like a hundred k two man time trial. Um, wow, that's brutal, man. And 
It was brutal. Yeah, it was absolutely brutal. Um, and I'd ridden that, some of the harder sections the day before. Um, and at that point, there was no, no snow. Um, so I, I said to Alex, I was like, I'll just do it on the road bikes. Um, like no mountain bike pedals or anything. And then, of course, it snowed overnight. Um, so we ended up like, we both hit the deck and like, it was, it was a good day out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he actually, he should have been the winner, but there was a glitch in the timing. Um, so it got awarded to me, which is pretty funny in the end because (laughs) he's still, still losing. (laughs) That's very, very cool. So basically to what kind of, um, and I've been to Boulder many, many years ago, actually, just doing some altitude training when I was back in the 90s. Beautiful, beautiful yeah. place. Would love, love to come back. So whereabouts? Was, was the course a hilly one or was it pretty flat? What was the what was the parkour like? Uh, it's like a mixture um, because in, in Boulder, you're kind of like right against um, the edge of where the Rockies start. Yeah. Um, so you kind of – you do half the course in like the rolling foothills and farm roads, um, which are – are quite flat, but all all nice, like really smooth sort of dirt surface. Um, and then it ventured up into the hills, um, and I think there's a two or three mile section of uh, single track. Okay. Um, which is quite high as well, like sort of up over two thousand meters. Um, right. And that's kind of the the crux of the event. Um, right. So you, you you climb up to the start of that for. 10 miles in the canyon and then um, we've got to get up and over that and it gets like quite icy and, and snowy right, <laughs> that time right. of year. Right, um, okay. So, yeah, that, that's sort of the the most difficult part and then you descend back out of the mountains and have a, another couple of small climbs uh, before you get back to the farm roads and back to lines. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really nice event and it was good to to get involved in like a, a local event again, because it's sort of, you know, event, event organizers have had such a difficult year. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah. it's really nice when, when someone can actually pull it off uh, in a way that was sort of safe for, for the participants. Um, yeah. I feel like as a, a cyclist or just an athlete in general now, even if you're sort of recreational, it's kind of, it's a bit of your duty to, to go and do these events. Um, just because, you know, it's been, it's been such a difficult year for, for people trying to put them on. And it, and it was just at a time as well. I mean, there's no, there's no ideal time for this pandemic at all, was there? But it was just at a time when the, the, the kind of like the gravel side of things was really gaining a lot of momentum, wasn't it as well? It's always, we know it's kind of always been there for the last few years, but it was just getting bigger and bigger. And then suddenly it was kind of almost had its legs taken away from it, you know, as, as well as other events. But yeah, it's a really, yeah. Quite note. yeah, to, to get stuck, stuck in and support them. Yeah. Massively important. Yeah. And I mean, I think, um, I, I still think the, the gravel scene in the U S is going to blossom once it, um, you know, once events start happening again. Yeah. Just because the format is so it makes so much more sense for for organizers in the US. Um, it's so much easier to put on an event somewhere quiet, uh, off main roads. Um, so I think that that's that boom's gonna continue. Um, but yeah, it, it's gonna involve um, people getting back out there and 
in supporting these events. Um, definitely. Because, definitely. Yeah, ultimately, that's, that's all why we all do it. You know? Indeed. Uh, something, sorry, mate. There's something. Oh, oh. Random question alert. Well, I'm sorry, mate. <laughs> Here we go. It's kicking <laughs> off. <laughs> it is Hold time on. for a random question. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. Sorry about that, Lachlan. As you probably heard, we've got. Um, the guys at Sigma Sports came into my loft uh, six months ago and put in this really old computer. It's enormous. Uh, and every now and again on a podcast, it fires out a randomly generated question. Uh, I've never seen the questions before, and I've just torn it off. It's like on, on old fax paper. Uh, and here it is. Um, okay, Lachlan, if you had to complete, and I'm, I'm literally reading this fresh, if you had to complete one video game with your feet, which one would it be? Now, the stakes are high, like your family have been taken hostage or something. I'm really sorry about okay. that. That's pretty heavy duty. So which video game could you have the confidence would, to complete with your to meet feet? The, um, <laughs> I'd love to meet the criminal mastermind that took, you, took you, someone's family hostage and then he's demanding that you play a video game. Um, they're probably quite funny if you actually got to know them. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, Alex the Kid. It was like um, when you had a, a Sega, the Sega Mega Drive, it came with one game built in, um, which was Alex the Kid. So I think I played that game more than any other because we didn't really have many other games. Um, oh, right. It was just okay. on the console. So Alex the Kid, that would be the game. Can you bring, I'm, I'm looking at a Sega Mega Drive at the moment. We've got like a, a shelving unit in our loft uh, and it's just yeah. full of re- retro computer consoles. So I'm looking at it, but <laughs> I've never played that. My, my wife's a massive gamer. So what what would it involve? So how dexterous are your feet? Would it be, are you? Well, it's of- basically, there's only there's only four directions. You can only oh, right. walk, okay. you know, <laughs> up, down, left, right. Um, cool. So I feel like I could probably manage that with one right foot and then have like the left foot kind of wedge the control so it doesn't move. Um, that's okay. how I'm imagining it. I can't say yeah. it ever. Put I mean, it into practice. I mean, fair play, Lachlan. There's a lot of confidence there. And bear in mind, your family are being held hostage, and you know, so <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a lot exactly. at stake there. Uh, great stuff. Uh, and I do agree. We'd, we'd probably need to kind of try and find out who who this criminal mastermind is because that's quite, <laughs> yeah, exactly. quite quite a creative one. Thanks very much. There might be a couple of those later on, and I do not know when they're going to arise. So thank you very much. Okay, okay moving up, changing pace. Let's rewind a bit, um, Lachlan. Um, what's your first, your, your first ever memory um, of throwing your leg over a bike and riding as a kid? Um, I think it was probably back home. Um, and I remember my dad taking like one of the training wheels off my bike. Uh, like when okay. we were learning, he would just, he would take, yeah say the left one off so you can still sort of balance on the right yeah um, that's like the first time i can remember and like the day when he did that and then i sort of rode that for a few hours and then he took the other one off and i could i could ride it um, wow that's pretty cool i think that's my earliest memory but yeah we used to sort of make like little tracks around our house um, yeah and we were like at that time we were really big into like motor racing um, ah, okay. So, you know, we were like pretending we were F1, F1 cars or like, you know, MotoGP riders. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like a, a cycling thing, but that was sort of like the, the fastest thing we could do. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I do. I mean, I think a lot of us, you know, have grown up and ended up, you know, being in the industry at some point, um, did that as kids. And it, it's, they're really fond memories. And that's why they kind of stick in your mind, like creating like yeah. little kind of, little kind of jumps. There's all, there was always generally a jump because I'm, my kind of my kind my kind of hero back then um yeah i was really into kind of formula one in the 70s and stuff and and, mo- and yeah. mo- racing but also evil knievel um yeah, right. so i used to try and do jumps uh, like evil knievel it's like a plank of wood and then one brick and if you got really confident they'd be like two bricks you know stuff like that uh, like yeah <laughs> were you, were you yeah we used to jump? dig our, our jumps into the ground oh so like- right okay um, you'd kind of like come down into it and then launch out and land. So you wouldn't land quite as high, I guess. Right. Um, but that was sort of the easiest way for us to build jumps. Um, I've never, I, I don't, what, a, what a, I mean, probably my mum and dad wouldn't let me dig the lawn. Probably. That's probably. probably <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we were on a farm, so like we had room. Um, right. And there were enough places that you could, you know, tear the grass up without mum and dad seeing. So at um, what point then, uh, I mean, did you start to kind of become aware then? Um, I mean, as kids, most of us have got a real kind of sense sense of uh, inquisitiveness and, in, you know, an, an, an adventure. At what point did you start venturing a little bit further afield on your bike and think, hmm, this is, this is kind of really, really, this is maybe what I want to do? Um, well, we joined like the local cycling club, which um, like for the size of our town was actually like a really big, strong club right um and that's when i decided that like i needed to go out training um, okay and so like i think when i first headed out on the road <clears throat> i was only allowed to go like five k's down the road and back to where the, the road turned to dirt and then i could come back right um and yeah i don't know it was something like i would do it myself um so it was like a big like it was a big feeling of like independence, I guess, um, yeah. as like a nine or 10 year old, like leaving home uh, to go ride. And then I guess that like sense of achievement and I'd always do it before school. Um, right. Okay. So I really like that feeling of like, you kind of like, you got to school and you'd already done so much, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that was like, where I really like sort of fell in love with it. Um, and then it just grew from there, like starting to look at maps and seeing how far I could go um, and different loops you could make. And like in country Australia, you sort of, you're pretty limited as to like what you can ride that's paved. Yeah. Um, it's basically all out and backs. So after like, you know, five years of doing out and back and started to loop stuff and realized that you could ride a road bike on the dirt. Um, and then that kind of, you know, I think the next big step from there was when I went like, put a backpack on and, and went one way from Port Macquarie to like Walker. Right. And then rode from Walker then to Sydney. Um, okay. So that was probably the next, I guess, evolution of that. I mean, just to put it in a bit of perspective for people, it's uh, it's Port Macquarie, wasn't it, where you were brought up as a kid uh, in New South Wales yeah. in Australia, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, I mean, actually, do you know what? Um, 
I'm going to do the quiz now. I'm going to do the Port Macquarie okay. quiz uh, because it just it's just kind of nice. Um, so yeah, let, let's do it. I, I've I've done a little bit of research. Um, nice. uh, it's kind of tenuous research on Port Macquarie. So Lacklemore, yeah. let's fire up the uh, the theme tune. It's time for the Port Macquarie quiz. The Port Macquarie quiz. The Port Macquarie quiz. Now it's time. <laughs> <laughs> oh mate, we are. I mean, the budget. I mean, I tell you what, pal. Um, yeah, uh, and Niall is has got bookings already for like uh, DJ sets uh, in Ibiza yeah. uh, later in the year. Okay. Yeah, I reckon the Port Mac uh, tourism board might pick that one up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame to let that one go away. <laughs> <laughs> that was that's got to be well done. No, one of my favourites. That one, mate. Okay, <laughs> so I've got I've just got three questions here, um, but it's multiple choice. So I'm not gonna, you know. So worst case scenario, you just guess. It's, there's no no hassle. Yeah. There. We're not trying to show you up. Okay, so <laughs> question number one, Lackland. Actually, when's the last time you were there? Ah, uh, that's I not part of the was... quiz. It's just like you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, two years ago now. Right, yeah. okay, blimey. Just, right, oh, okay. just over two years. Right, um, two years ago, okay. Yeah. Well, hope, hopefully these will be kind of relatively, um, you know, actually, um, I don't know how often you go on the, the Port Macquarie <laughs> uh, website, um, but we'll, we'll soon find out. Anyway, <laughs> here we go. Question number one. What is the only non-official clothing optional beach in Port Macquarie? Okay. Uh, Nobby's, Nobby's Beach. You've got, it's, oh no 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 miners beach oh you've got it yeah i was gonna say yeah. so <laughs> you have to brilliant. walk around you have to you have to walk around from nobby's beach and it's funny because <laughs> like you go into a new beach and it's called nobby's but yeah it's miners beach <laughs> i like the uh, fact actually that- the last time i was there i did go i went to miners um it's quite nice because you have to you have to like walk around to get to it so it's quite quiet um and it's not like it's not like you're overrun by naked people. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I like the way they call it. I mean, back in the day, you'd call it like a nudist beach, but now it's like yeah, you know, non-official clothing optional. Clothing optional. That's such a cool 21st century term, isn't it? Jesus, uh, fantastic. Yeah. I was going to give you. I mean, I'm going to give you a bonus point um, because you didn't need the other questions. I was going to go for Rocky Beach, North Shore. Nobby's Beach and Miner's Beach. And obviously there's a wonderful irony that you already picked up on that. In fact, Nobby's Beach isn't the nudist one. Uh, fantastic. No, so two, two points. Yeah. Con- contrary to popular belief, Indeed. Nobby's is not the nudist beach. <laughs> okay, uh, here we go. Question number two. What is the name of the annual koala festival held on the June long weekend in Port Macquarie? Okay. Is it... Ooh. Hey koalas, hello koala, koalas, good day koalas, or we are koalas festival. So uh, it's one of those. Koalas. You reckon it's good day koalas? Yeah. It's not. I, I created that one. It's actually hello koalas. So- <laughs> <laughs> okay, I do not know that. Port no, Macquarie no. has the only um, koala hospital in Australia. Yeah, yeah, um, but. I didn't know about the actual festival. Yeah, um, you need to next time you're down there on the June long weekend. Uh, maybe speak to JV. Say, look, I don't really fancy the Taurus Swiss 
uh, or, or the Dauphinate. I want to go to the Koala Festival uh, and maybe. I would love, yeah, I would love to be a tourist Swiss, but um, it's quite a, quite a big event <laughs> on back home. It's got a back walk. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so final question. Um, okay, next May, so in May 2022, Lachlan, which famous Australian covers band will play in Port Macquarie at the Glass House? Okay, Ooh. so that these are a, a, a world famous Australian covers band. Okay, is okay. it is it A, the Australian Pink Floyd? Is it B, the Aussie Beatles? Is it C, the Australian Michael Jackson Experience? Or is it D, the Australian Bee Gees? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I mean. I think it's I think it's Pink Floyd. It's it's not. It's not. Oh, Floyd. <laughs> no, um, they are an actual band, as you correctly said. Uh, the Aussie Beatles. There probably is one, but I made that up. I also made up the Australian Michael Jackson experience. I don't know why. I just did. Oh, uh, the it, Bee Gees. It's, it's the Australian Bee Gees. Yeah, they're coming over. What, what, have they got a special name? Is it like is there? A they're just called or? the uh, weirdly. They're they just be- called the Australian Bee Gees. <laughs> Uh, that's good. They've been they've they've gone out on a limb and been super creative with the name. Uh, well, so yeah, I thought some of the original Bee Gees were from Australia. They are. Uh, I think yeah. I think they are. I think the brother. Yeah, they they were born in Australia, then lived in England for a long time. The Bee Gees, I think, didn't they? But yeah. The Australian- so I mean, how can you just call yourself the Australian Bee Gees when the original <laughs> <Australian>? <laughs> That's a, that's a bloody good point. I don't know, mate. Maybe I have a word if you can get tickets. Uh, they are BG's on the website. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <He's> too. <laughs> uh, oh, so so basically, um, you've got two points from three, which works out at seventy. Uh, actually, seventy-seven percent because you've got the bonus, uh, roughly. So well done. Nice. Okay. Nice one, mate. I am a local. Right. Uh, just a bit of added information about the Australian Bee Gees. They've uh, they've got they've just signed a five year residency in Las Vegas at one of the big hotels. <laughs> yeah, really? that's yeah, that's they've just signed a five year. Mate, the amount of research I put okay. into this podcast. Yeah, so, it, so it's a big deal that the the glass house has secured them. Exactly, um, uh, and it's May the first. It's May the 1st, 2022. Again, if you get picked for the Giro, just say, oh, we've got a bit of an injury. Uh, I'm just going to head up back home to recuperate and you can catch the Aussie Bee Gees. It's basically the Coachella of the mid-north coast. Exactly. Exactly, mate. So uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the quiz, mate. Um, So, yeah, well done. Some random questions there. Uh, Right. um, Okay. I'm just having a little look. Um, Okay. How about this then? Tell me, Lachlan, about the bike that hasn't yet been invented. Yeah. So no. it, it hasn't been invented, uh, but so you've got a kind of unlimited budget. Um, what would it look like, like if you what? had to build a bike to, to just do anything? The kind, the kind, maybe the kind of thing you do. I mean, I know yeah. you're sponsored by Cannondale, and their bikes are pretty decent. I've ridden one. But ultimately, yeah. if you were to sit down and design it, I mean, with like wing mirrors, cup holders, all sorts all sorts of cool stuff. What would it look like? Yeah, I think um, that's a tough one. I mean, I think if you could somehow create like um, a larger travel mountain bike, 
like a 130 or 150 mil sort of travel mountain bike that felt like uh, a light cross country bike for me yeah. that would be like the dream um, okay but then also like i think if you could uh create like a a bike for endurance races you know when you strap a bunch of bags and stuff on yeah um, every little bit more weight you add to the bike it just diminishes the ride quality yeah um, so like you're constantly sort of trying to like thread this this line between um having everything you need and then being as light as possible yeah um so i think if you could create a bike that was designed around um having weight on it um and doing it in a way that's not just like strapping a bunch of like different bags to the bike like i don't know maybe creating um spaces and storage compartments that are designed to be plush with the bike um, okay yeah so that it would actually um still maintain its like ride qualities when you when you have a bunch of, of gear on it and it would also help you keep like organized <laughs> yeah because like when you've got a, a bunch of things like shoved in a um a handlebar roll um it's like it's one thing to like get it in there and put it on the bike but then once you're like ah oh, shit like my hands are cold and my gloves are in the middle of that handlebar oh, bag. God, I've got yeah, to like yeah. pull my mat out <laughs> like, you know um that, that i would love that yeah um, i'm sure it'll get there yeah like, well that that's the thing the kind of thing you do at any given point, I mean, if, if you look at the, the kind of stuff like the Enduro, like the GB Enduro, when you're basically riding through the night for a few days in a row, at, at yeah. any given point, what, wherever you put something, even if you prioritize it, there'll be a time in the day when you don't need it in that position. It's almost as if you need a kind of exactly. some sort of storage system that is like run by an app that rotates from like a time perspective. <laughs> so there's like a night and day. <laughs> so it just rotates yeah, the stuff exactly. that's... <laughs> within the compartments yeah. yeah and then like it gives you reminders to like charge your lights and stuff because i always get caught out with that sort of thing um, was it bad was it badlands last was it badlands last year where your light ran out after half an hour uh no i was on the cocopelli trail oh the cocopelli um, trail right. okay <laughs> so i just rode i was like it was super difficult like i was kind of like the the light died and it was still probably like 45 minutes before sunrise. Um, and you know when you're doing that thing, if you're like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then like, you know, there's certain situations where you're like, hang on a minute, I can't see anything. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I've done that a few times. In, I mean, it's, uh, it's bad enough on, on the, the Colorado road. trail. I had yeah. to like take my phone um, to my handlebar bag, like with the stupid little torch on. Um, because <laughs> that, was all I, that was the only way I could finish, finish the Colorado trail. Um, so that was, yeah. That's quite, I mean, I mean, you laugh about that and it, cause it is kind of absurd, but I, I guess there's been many, many, when you look at the kind of things that you've, I mean, and any, most people listening to this will know what you've, what you've done in terms of your, the adventure side of things. You've done some pretty amazing stuff. I mean, it's, it's really, really intriguing, but that question, I mean, that little instant with the phone there, can you then 
tell us what your most MacGyver moment has been. You know, and you're like, because you, you, you know, you're, you're on your own. I mean, I know sometimes you might have a film crew with you or nearby or something, because obviously somebody's taking shots yeah. and stuff. But essentially, you're on your own. So, what have you ever had something pretty catastrophic that's happened with your kit or your bike, and you've really had to MacGyver the hell out of it, and you've been done it, and it's worked? What What's your proudest MacGyver type moment? I mean, that was a pretty good one with the with the torch and the tape. Um, yeah. And like it's sort of just working out what you have on hand. Um, and the Kokopelli Trail, I like, I sent this one descent to, I was quite rocky and I broke my, my rim. Um, right. And so like all the sealant was coming out of the actual physical rim. So I had to pull it apart, put a tube in it um, and like put an inlay of like uh, cardboard inside so the tube wouldn't come out of the rim. Sure. Um, but to do that, like the, you know, when you run tubeless, you have the valve, um, like that's screwed in. Yes. It's not yeah. attached to a tube. Um, yeah. and Tom Hopper, who like always sets up my, my adventure bike stuff. Um, he's obviously got like significantly stronger, uh, finger strength than I do. Right. And I couldn't get that done. And like, I was going for like a record. So at this point I knew I was like, whatever. I was 20 minutes up on the record and I'm sitting there and I just couldn't unscrew this tiny little washout to get the, <laughs> the valve off. And like, it was taking like a comically, like I, to the point where I was like, I think I'm going to have to like abandon because I cannot, I don't have strong enough fingers. Um, and in the end I was like thinking, and it was like, it's totally in the desert. There was this super fine, like, dust on the trail. And I was thinking of, like, uh, like gymnastics to chalk the hands up. Yeah. Uh, so, I like, I used this super fine dirt to, like, chalk up my fingers. <laughs> um, and it was, like, my last ditch attempt. And it worked. And it worked. Like, it it worked. Yeah, it gave, it, gave me, it gave my fingers the grip strength to get the valve off. Wow, that's, um, pretty, that's pretty good lateral thinking there, mate. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like, it, yeah, it's not like I had to do something super technical, but uh, like honestly, I was. It took me like ten minutes to get this valve, and I was like laughing at myself because I'm like, I actually can't continue if I don't, if I don't get this stupid valve. Um, but yeah, it worked out. Good stuff. And that that's a good tip for anybody else who kind of needs an added bit of purchase if you're riding a trail. Get some dust on your hands. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. you need to. Sure. You need to. You need sure to write. Lack, yeah, I think you need to make a note of all these, mate. Lachlan Morton, um, MacGyver survival guide. Uh, just every little kind of tip, you know, what you can use. I mean, that's the classic one as well. You know, using cardboard to seal the inside if you've got a split in your tire. I think all of us have done that. Yeah, I think my best one, mate. If you don't, if you don't mind me saying, and one that I'm very, very proud of, it was kind of in 1999, and it was when we were riding with the stems with the kind of you know, the four bolts at the front uh, to, to kind of like yeah. there's a, a front clamp. And basically, somehow that just sheared off. Um, so my handlebars were completely, they're only being held on by the SDI cables and the brakes. So I had these and it cracked and broke. I didn't fall luckily, but basically I had this set of handlebars still attached to my bike by the cables and then the stem. And it's like, how am I going to get home now? It's like, oh my God. I didn't have a, didn't have a mobile phone. So what I did, I got an inner tube and I 
basically bound them together using an inner tube really, really tightly, (laughs) pulling it back. So it kind of bound it. And eventually, and it was like wrapped around the stem loads of time and like knotted up and then back and then tied again. And if you stretch an inner tube, it's pretty long. So I managed to bind it all. Um, And then I rode, then I just kind of redistributed a lot of my weight right over the back of the saddle. So and then had my arms really long. I looked like Steve Bauer in Paru Bay, like 1990 on that ridiculous bike. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But but it kind of gave me a little bit of suspension. So I had had like a bit of a kind of an asthma (laughs) situation going on with my handlebars. But I got home. I was well. Yeah. 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 So if you ever if you ever break your handlebars, mate, inner tubes, very, very good. Tubes can be used for a lot of things. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I think I I reckon they're under they're underrated, mate, and that's why I'm not. I'm, I mean, I'm, I know the tubeless tech's amazing, but have a couple of inner tubes. Just, just you know, you just never know, do you? Just Actually, the other day I had to. Um, I was short, like a spacer, you know, on the steerer. Yeah. And because um, I'd switched stems on this on my mountain bike, um, and it meant I needed like another, say, five mil spacer, um, which I didn't have. So I used like some quarters, like some coins, <laughs> kind oh, yeah. of like I used like three quarters either side of the um, <clears throat> of the steerer, and then tightened down the cap, um, <laughs> and it went, it worked fine. And I'd sort of like forgotten about it, uh, and then I rode past uh, my mates. Uh, he's got like a little bike workshop in Boulder. And he was like, what the hell is this? And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that. Um, <laughs> the old coin space. And he was just like, take those out right now. Um, yeah, that was another good one. Coin space. I mean, I bet it actually looked quite tricky as well, like quite bespoke. Yeah, uh, it was a bit like the um, when you used to put the card in the spokes. Kind of yeah. Oh, definitely, mate. Definitely. Um, oh, hold on a minute. Oh, there's another one incoming. Question alert. Sorry about this. <laughs> All languages. It is time for a random question. Okay, this. I've just, I've just torn it off. This is, a, this is a good one. Uh, okay, Lachlan, what would be the worst buy one get one free sale of all time? <laughs> Buy one get one free sale. Yeah. So, what's the worst um, one? You know, like you get the bog off, don't you? Buy one get one free. What would be the worst one? Uh, maybe like expired uh, power bars. Do you remember the expired, <laughs> power, bars? expired power bars? Yeah. You know, remember, you remember how like when they, when they went out of date, uh, they were like actually impossible to eat. Yeah. Like it was just so so hard. Um, yeah, that'd be the worst. Thing again, I think though, I'm going to flip it round. I'm going to I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Lachlan. If you did sort of buy one get one free on out of date power bars, you could probably use one um, to kind of fix your bike at some point because it's so it's like this like malleable like, concrete, isn't it? Like a couple of tire levers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely, uh, you could definitely use them as a spacer. You could just like pop your kind of your fork crown through it uh, you, you you know and um you could i reckon <laughs> underrated mate a bit a little bit of kit um you know and in worst yeah. case scenario you'd eat it um but i mean totally. no offense to power bar if they're listening i mean we love you we love your stuff but 
we think when yeah. it's out of date. No, I mean the original power bar. Like the first back, back in the day. I mean, they were. Like when, when it was like, it was considered like the only food for riding. That was the yes. only option, really. No one yeah. else was doing it. And yeah. Yeah. Like, to be fair, they, they were good. I used to love power bars. I mean, that they were even back then. I mean, they were they were quite they were quite expensive, but in a good way because and they were a bit of a treat. If you got a power bar on a ride, or somebody gave you a power bar on a ride, it's like whoa, this is pretty funky. And I used to like <laughs> yeah. peeling back the foil on it, and they somehow had this ridiculous. They were shiny, weren't they? Uh, that's the one yeah, thing yeah. I liked about <laughs> you it was like space food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Really, yeah, they were funky. They were a funky bit of kit, and they still are. You know, fair play to. Yeah, play to. I remember seeing like one of the first tours I ever watched must have been like two thousand and two or three. Yeah, and seeing um, one of the riders from Seiko had it. Like he'd eaten half the power bar and then just stuck the other half to his stem. Yeah, that so that was like, the thing. Sit- we used- yeah, yeah. I started to do it, and it was. <laughs> It was quite gross. Like, I guess if you're getting your bike washed every day, it's fine. Um, but it, like, my stem would get super sticky, and like, and then you're also like, you're like peeling this like hot power bar off your stem to eat. Um, yeah, I think it yeah. looked cooler than the actual reality of it. Yeah, and from a, and maybe from the and the amount of stuff because they were quite tacky, weren't they? They were like, yeah, yeah. they would they attracted sort of dust. You got a few insects on there and stuff like that. Looked like a <laughs> looked like a looked like a Gary Baldy biscuit by the time you'd finished. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, blimey, yeah, we've gone off on a tangent there. Um, okay, yeah. Lachlan, what does few? Uh, let, okay, let's forward wine to twenty twenty thirty. Okay, um, yeah. you're still, you know, you're still doing what you're doing. You're still the best in the world at it, but you're starting to design your own kind of courses. So I'm asking you this: mm-hmm. What does the Lachlan Morton Challenge event look like? Um, I think like, I've thought about this a lot. It's like, how do you um, create like the the Barclay Marathon of cycling? You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's bike ride marathons like this ridiculous uh, running event in the US um, that involves like doing loops um, and it's like obviously physically very demanding but you have to navigate um, and yeah I mean I think for me it would involve um, like a series of loops that just get harder and harder and so it's basically okay. there is no finish um, <laughs> you know right it's just so it's basically like, it's, like, it's like a mobius strip of cycling <laughs> exactly like you got to clear a month out of the uh the schedule um but i also like the idea of like doing the same loop so it's like a i don't know a 200k loop with a mixture of um some off-road a bit of tar, just like a, a, a complete mix so there's no there's no ideal bike. Something's going to thrive in, in in one part of the course and and be you know uh, a handicap in another. Yeah. Um, but kind of involving like you have to finish within uh, a percentage of the first person to complete that lap. Okay. Um, so you would have different strategies where people are like, all right, I'm going to try and do one lap but really fast to, you know, cut a bunch of these ultra guys in the first lap. 
Um, but then basically it just continues, <laughs> right. continues uh, until there's, there's one person and no one's finished within that percentage of their lifetime. Wow. That's pretty, yeah. that's pretty competitive. Oh, I know. I've had a lot of time. I can see you uh, like twirling your mustache. Maybe you're the kind of criminal mastermind that wanted to uh, ask that question earlier on with a, with a, with an event like that. <laughs> a... Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it, it, yeah. I mean, I think like <coughs> it would be an event that evolves. It's not like one discipline. Okay. Um, it's a, like a combination of, of all the, the, the different aspects of, of bike riding. Right. And, and whereabouts in the world would you, have, have you kind of thought about a location or a series of, I suppose you could do a series of yeah. events in, in different kind of locations, couldn't you, which would be cool? Yeah, I think um, it's, there's a lot of cool places you could do it. Like, I mean, the Rockies um, is probably one of my favorite places to ride uh, in Colorado. But um, I also think here, um, in like the the volcanic region between Girona and, and where the, the Pyrenees probably start. Okay. Because uh, there's a huge variety of, of trails and terrain uh, and it's quite harsh when you get off-road. Uh, yeah. And you also have access. Like you, you can you can go in most places, uh, which is, you know, not the case uh, in every country. So... Yeah, I think I think this would be a good area to do. Cool. I mean, talking about, I mean, about different countries. Where in the world uh, have you got your kind of eye on that you'd like to kind of uh, ride and, and do something kind of epic? Because you've ridden all over the place, but a, a lot of them are quite well beaten kind of tracks, aren't they? Or pre pre existing yeah. events. Uh, and I, I watched with interest your your brother actually recently. He rode across Iceland, didn't he? Um, yeah. That looked. I mean, on those fat bikes. I mean, that looked. looked I was. Uh, it looked. It looked amazing. I mean, he had like a proper guide and stuff. And if anybody hasn't yeah. seen that stuff, it's worth checking it out. But have you, have you got like a challenge at the back of your mind that at some point you'd like to, to go for? Um, I think the the route that inspires me the most at the moment is probably the two divide route. Um, so from Canada down to Mexico, following wow. the, the Rockies. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that's like... As far as routes go, that's one I really want to do. Um, but I think um, I've got this theory that would be really fun to, like, uh, bikepack in Japan. Okay. Um, just because I think it would be, like, quite easy, you would, like, logistically. Yeah. Uh, because, like, you constantly have, like, vending machines, <laughs> like, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Um, the people are so nice that I feel like you could probably set up camp in most places and no one's really going to bother you. Yeah. Um, and there's actually like a surprising amount of, um, like for, for a country that has such a, you know, high population, there's a, there's a lot of um, beautiful areas you get out sort of and, and it's quite remote. So, yeah, I, I feel like I really want to go and, um, bikepack in Japan, but without like any any set route, just sort of go and do it for a month. Just explore, just basically get out there and just see where see where the road takes yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, and then just sort of wait on uh, on people to give you tips on maybe where to go next. Um, yeah, it'd be cool. I mean that that's you know 
that's essentially what writing is all about, isn't it, for us? You know, like you go back to one of my earlier questions to you about as you got a little bit older, you're allowed to go a bit further afield. Initially, your mum said 5K is out and that's your limit. And But we, we all want to kind of explore, whether it's kind of countryside on our bikes, whether it's kind of yeah. your interest in arts or whatever music, we, we all kind of want to explore. And um, sometimes, you, sometimes you don't want it mapped out. You just want to just find your own way. And that's a real lovely reminder of the first you know that while we all ride bikes i guess i mean we've all you're competitive you know i was competitive but now i just like just riding around and if i want to go hard i'll yeah. go hard if, if not and uh, i think the exploration thing as i've got older I, i'm kind of more childlike in the way that i'm riding it's it's really quite wonderful yeah and i mean it's with the technology we have now uh, it's pretty crazy you know you could be halfway around a loop and then pull out your phone uh, and map a totally new and different route home um, you had no idea about, just like mm. with your phone. Um, and the year is so good now. Like I, I just feel like, um, you know, there was a time when you probably had to be quite experienced to like take it on. And sure, if you're going to like cross Iceland in the winter, like you've got to have a pretty solid game plan and quite a bit of experience. But um you know you can get out there and explore you know in your backyard um now with with the, the different apps uh and in like different ways to navigate rides and and then you know just the the equipment um uh, it's it's quite accessible now yeah no, no it certainly is i mean it certainly op- opened things up isn't it i mean uh yeah. i mean just look just just looking back um over the kind of stuff that you've done I mean, what I mean, because you you really have done some stuff that's kind of been absolutely brutal. What has been the one that has taken you the, the kind of into the darkest places? I mean, not not just through the nighttime uh, when you light when your lights are into, into, into yeah. your no, literally into your psyche, and you're like, because we've all been there. Um, generally, yeah. when you're suffering in the cold or whatever, like why why am I riding my bike? So, but where have you? I mean, cycling generally takes you to good places. That's why we do it. But, you know, on the odd occasion, I'd imagine the stuff that you've done, you've been in some pretty dark places. What's been the toughest to overcome? What what ride? Um, uh, Colorado Trail was by far the most difficult thing I've done. Um, and that kind of goes with the way I approached it. I didn't do a huge amount of research. Um, okay. I just kind of was like, oh, I'll go do this. Um, and it turns out it's probably one of the most difficult routes you can ride. Um, right. So, yeah, that broke me down a lot. Um, and it was great because it was like super, super humbling just to get through it. Um, right. But I, I still think um, like racing, uh, racing has the capacity to take you to like the darkest places, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're doing like a a tour, like a grand tour or a week long tour or, or something and um you know, maybe you're not riding as well as you want to, or like the, the stage is you're on a bad day and you know the brakes taking sixty K to go. Um yeah. I feel like there's nothing quite as intense as racing to like really make you like get to that dark place and question what you're doing. Um and it's funny because like you could be sitting on the, the team bus, like drinking a coffee and laughing with your teammates. And then half an hour later, be like, you know, I 
done with this, we're gonna quit, <laughs> worst thing ever, and then you know come round and have like a great finish to the stage and be like, oh, I love this, I'll do this for another ten years. Um, I feel like great racing is the only thing that, that really does that. Um, and when you do it at like the highest level, all of that is, um, you know, amplified. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a, it's really, really quite interesting. I mean, when you think about just the very nature of racing, you know, the competitive nature, regardless of your aims and ambitions or the team's plan for that particular day, ultimately, you know, unless you're the team that's got the stranglehold on the race and you're to a degree dictating, but that that's never a hundred percent. Yeah, everything everything in a race is outside of your control, and, and although what you're doing in your endurance stuff, you know, it's it's the environment, the kind of you know the I guess the weather conditions, your kind of general, you know, state of being will dictate. Ultimately, it's you that are in control of the pace that you're riding at. You, if you push yourself exactly. hard, it's generally because you know you can do it. But in a in a bike race, it's just like being thrown into the sea uh, on on a, totally. on a stormy day. Do you know what I mean? And you're just like, especially if you're not on a super super day, it is yeah. you have no control. And that when that control's taken away and you're suffering, it's quite bewildering. It's quite it's not nice, is it? No, it, it can be terrible. Um, and as you said, like in an ultra, um, as, as difficult as it can be, you kind of, you have that control and it's yeah. up to how you're going to tackle the situation. Um, where, you know, if you're in a, a world tour race that starts up a 10K climb, um, you can't get dropped there, you know, because your yeah. race is over. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like, and... You have to ride as fast as as everyone else is going to ride. Um, so you, uh, sometimes, especially if it's a bad day, it's a bit like it's a bit like you're the fish that's been caught. You know, <laughs> you've been hooked and you're getting dragged along <laughs> and like dragged along and reeled in. Good way of putting it. So, like, um, I don't think there's anything that really compares to that. And it's, I think that's. Um, it's hard to explain to people who haven't uh, experienced it. Like you can be so desperate in a race, um, even though, you know, it looks just like professional sport. It's like you could be going through a very uh, distressing um, emotional period in, in that stage. Oh, no, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, that takes us quite nicely onto the Giro. I mean, you obviously rode the Giro last year. Uh, that was your first Giro, wasn't it? I think that was your first time you've ridden yeah. Giro. You've ridden, the, you've ridden the Vuelta. I mean, how how was that as an experience for you? Because, well, I, I know you. I would imagine you you kind of enjoyed it. Maybe apart from the suffering, um, uh, brutal. Uh, course. I loved it. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I mean, what what actually? So the Giro. What what do, yeah. what could you draw from your endurance experience that you think maybe helped you in the Giro? If anything? yeah, I think the Giro is more than. Um, more than just the stages like it's it's a probably i guess the most difficult route of any road event um because like the stages are long and mountainous um and that actually helps me in a way because it kind of once people get tired i kind of stay the same yeah um but it's also like the transfers the late nights um there's a lot that goes on outside the race that kind of it's like the Giro, it's not, it's one big event. It's not like a series of stages, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, no, the whole race right. slowly breaks you down. Yeah. Um, which I like that because it kind of creates like a an atmosphere of like one big event. Um, 
And I, I think it just has all the the best elements of uh, of road racing. Yeah. Like the the way the stages are, um, there's like there's no restriction as to what they're willing to do with the yeah. stage, um, <laughs> yeah. like, which is I think is great. Um, and I think the fans are like the most passionate in the world, and they're very they're genuine fans. Um, yeah, like they 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 really respect um, the event and the riders. And even like when you're at uh, a hotel, you know, like I feel like a lot of the time um, you just kind of feel like a burden on the hotel that you're staying at because like you've come in, you've taken up half the parking, you've got like 30 towels in the Swanier's room and you're like, your chef's in the kitchen, like you're just like a, a real pain in the ass. Um, yeah. But I feel like at that race, you know, they they enjoy having you there, um, yeah, and they're excited to have you um, because you're you're part of the Giro. Yeah. So That's yeah, a- I don't, I'm a big fan. I think of all the the road events I've ever done, like the Giro is is by far my favourite. Yeah, there is a sense of epicness about it, isn't there? And, and as you say, although it is like 21 stages, it, it it is more a collective of those kind of stages. And I think um, you feel. I mean, I. I, I wrote it once. Didn't quite. I got to like stage seventeen, and I had to pull out. But I and I was in a yeah. not, not a good way. So I suffered. I did. I don't. I don't think I've ever suffered quite so much as I uh, in in dazing sensation as I did in the Giro. But what I loved about yeah. it was I felt really, really attached to yeah, like culturally that the, the race was kind of firmly. I know it's kind of that it's commercial and that's important, but it it seems kind of embedded within the kind of firmly embedded within the culture there so you feel this real yeah. connection to the roads to the countryside to the people there's a real closeness yeah. isn't there it's not like it doesn't stand away from the race from, from italy and is kind of bolted on there's nothing no. it doesn't seem synthetic it just seems super super real and it's a real yeah. cultural as well as physical and mental experience isn't it yeah i mean i, I imagine it's probably the the closest thing you can get in cycling to playing like Boxing Day test match in Australia, you know, like it's just part of the the culture, and yeah. to to take part in it is just such a privilege. And I always had this idea of like when I looked at cyclists when I was younger, like when you're aspiring to be professional, when you hear someone has ridden a Giro, it was like, wow, you know, like yeah, that's the the ultimate level of uh, of experience that you can have. Um, so yeah, I mean to to ride it, uh, I was I was really really excited to be able to ride it, and also like for for my characteristics, especially those big mountain stages, um, and I was just coming off an ultra just before it. Um, I didn't have that stress of like like those big long hard stages. I knew even if I was on a a bad day and I got dropped early on, like I had the capacity to just ride at a good speed and easily yeah, make yeah. the time cut. Yeah, um, just because the way the course is up, it's so different yeah. than, than any other world tour race. So. No, and, and actually, just looking at your um, your finishing position is quite a cool one. One one oh, one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, was yeah, did you not know? No, that's yeah. Funny. So in the Giro, obviously Teo won it, number one, and eleventh eleventh yeah. uh, was Domenico Pozzovivo, and then the best of the ones 
one 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 was your was yourself Lachlan Morton yeah yeah nice. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so there's a nice yeah. kind of symmetry to that but uh no it's <laughs> yeah. a, it, it is a it's a bloody it's just it is a wonderful experience that you can you kind of you learn so much about yourself in in something like that you know how much you're kind of willing to suffer and I, I, I guess and how much you're kind of willing to commit although from what you're saying you know you had enough shape to actually get although you I would imagine you had your tough days but it seems like you were it was well within you, um, given what you, given the way you kind of just tuned your body over the years, I guess. Yeah, and also like, I was like fresh off uh, an ultra in Spain, and yeah. the idea of like heading out for five hours, it just seemed it was like super manageable. Right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, even like if it was cold or whatever, I found myself I was like, oh, I'll just take a. A vest, like it doesn't really matter if I'm cold because, like, I'm going to be back in the bus in like five hours. You know, it's not like a big deal. Um, yeah. So, like, I had that that perspective, which sort of um, it served me well for that race. That's um, no, it is. It's a, a very what it's kind of almost upon us again, isn't it? Well, Lachlan, we're coming towards the end of the pod. There's a couple of things uh, that I kind of wanted to ask you that I do ask everybody actually who comes on the pod. The first one is. Could you please um, sum up all of the teams that you've ridden for in one word? So we'll start off with Chipotle. One word to sum up either your experience, your kind of um, your kind of lasting memory of the team. So just one word uh, for Chipotle. Uh, fun. Fun. Okay. Yeah. Moving on to your first stint at Garmin Sharp. Oh, miserable. Okay, I, 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 again, honest. That's good. Uh, Jelly Belly. Uh, transformative. Oh, okay. I like that. That's never been used before. Transformative. I've had a couple of fun ones yep. before. Uh, dimension Data. Uh, interesting. Okay. We've got covering a lot of. There's a nice range here, Lachlan, which is good. <laughs> yeah. It's which is good. And then finally, uh, EF. Uh, family, I think. Ah, oh, that's nice, mate. That's cool. Yeah. So we've got fun, miserable, transformative, interesting, and family. That's kind of. Oh. Like, I mean, it's really inter- It's really interesting that. I mean, because you made a. You know. Uh, you were riding in the world tour as is well documented and then you took a step back didn't you do you look back and think yeah that was totally the right decision or is, or in terms of your career path as a pro cyclist is there anything you kind of want to change or based on that kind of summary are you pretty um, happy with where you are now I'm happy with where I am now um, yeah. I know if I was trying to uh, create like a, a world tour winning bike rider out of myself there's a lot of things I would do differently um, but I'm sort of content with the way I get to, to ride me. So I don't really want to change anything. Right. Um, I think there's things that I've done that I would advise younger riders who are trying to be successful, probably not to do, but, um, yeah, yeah that's just sort of what it is. I think there was a period where like, um, I struggled with that because you could see, um, you know, people you come up with having a lot of success in yep. World Tour racing and you'd sort of question yourself to be like, wait, did I make the right call? Yeah. Um, 
but I've definitely come to peace with that, and I feel like I've got the best job in the world now. So, um, yeah, I'm enjoying it. That's a that, that's a nice way to kind of wrap things up. Although it does appear, oh, the lights flashing, mate. Again, here we go. Oh, we've got one more random question alert. Oh, we can't. Sorry, <laughs> we've got one, one more on the way. It is time for a random question. Okay, we've got. Um, okay, uh, the final random question, and then we'll let you get back to your day, um, Lachlan. Here we go. What is your biggest pet peeve? What really peeves you off? Um, I think my my biggest pet peeve is um like pro cyclists complaining about things. I think like they ha- like it's like a it it just has to happen at a race, you know. Like nothing's ever perfect, so everyone has to complain. There's got to be one thing to complain about, constantly. right? Um, right. And the reality is like we're so well looked after. It's yeah. ridiculous, you know. <laughs> like um, at a race, it's like we're treated like we're we're babies, basically. Right. Um, so yeah, I'd say that's my pet. And um, dive bombing. Dive bombing. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. In descent, um, it used to be like, you know, you, you just didn't do it. It just wasn't done. Um, and now, if you want to hold position. Uh, in a road race, you just—it seems like you just have to do that, um, and I don't know why. Like, why it's just fine now, but yeah, it pisses me right off. It's you're actually—I mean, we've done this. Is, this is like—I think this will be like the thirty-seventh or thirty-eighth podcast I've done. Obviously, interviewed primarily pro bike riders, and uh, when this yeah. kind of subject comes up, that is the modern era. You know, especially some of the slightly older riders they said that there's a lot of respect that seems to have gone in the peloton. It's a real, the racing is super exciting, but to be in amongst yeah. it, it's very, very competitive. And the kind of, the kind of etiquette or an element of the etiquette that used to be there has definitely kind of fallen away and it's really cut and thrust. Yeah. Yeah, it has. Um, and as you said, it, uh, it's great for the spectators, I think, because uh, it does create more exciting racing, but, um, as far as like, you know, the whole push for rider safety, um, I think a lot of that we've just got to sort of take a look at ourselves because ultimately I think we're creating the, the riders are creating more dangerous working environment than uh, the race promoters. I think, but um, it's it's like, yeah, it's 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 the change. I mean, cycling's evolving, and it had to evolve because it was it was such an old school backwards sport, you know. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, like that was the sport that I sort of fell in love with <laughs> and that's yeah. going to change. But, um, I think, yeah, it's just, it's just evolving and, uh, it's exciting to sort of witness. And, and, and really to, to be fair, without blowing smoke up your ass, mate, you're, you're one of the, in your own way, you're one of the riders that's, that's, that's helping it evolve. And, and, and uh, you, you are kind of shining a light on different areas of the sport of just riding where you can be as competitive, as non-competitive as you want to be. It just 
cycling's a is broad you know it's a it's a very very yeah. broad church and there's no there's no reason why if anybody doesn't want to they can i mean i i'm all i, I understand that the, the beauty of the tribal element of it the differences between the different disciplines and the type of people that do it but also but ultimately we're still one family aren't we and it's it's really nice to kind of share experiences and and ride different bikes different sorts of terrain and and and, and get those kind of different experiences yeah and i mean it's all uh it's all there to be enjoyed um, and I think like there's, I mean, men, men's professional cycling is such a small slither of, you know, the whole range of, of what riding bikes is, but yeah, it gets like such a massive portion of the coverage. Um, so yeah, I think the, the more you can, can enjoy all the different facets you just get a, a richer experience, you know? Um. And I think it's exciting to see guys doing different things um, and, and people sort of enjoying more than just, you know, their, their one discipline. Cool. Well, Lachlan, last question, actually. What's next for you? What, what's um, what's on the menu for you next, mate? Uh, I'm not sure. I might be going to the Giro, <laughs> um, <laughs> which starts pretty soon. Um, yeah, which I'm not of, sure. I also, might, I also might not be. Um, oh, okay. So... I don't know. Uh, I might go to the the Giro in a couple of weeks, or actually, it might even be sooner than that. Um, it's, or, it's kind of, mate, it's kind of like like not a ten ten days away. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> it's close enough that you don't you can't really change anything anyway. Um, yeah, I yeah. did a I did a twenty three k like uh, trail running race on Sunday, um, oh, which I probably wouldn't have done if I. Um, I saw you did that with Mitch. Did corner, but was that with Mitch Docker? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, Mitch, Mitch, like put me to the sword. Um, but yeah, if if, if I don't do that, uh, I think I'll do something uh, pretty long, like an ultra th- thing in in July. Okay. Um, and then I want to jump into a few mountain bike races in the next cool. uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, just with an eye of like looking towards Cape Epic at the end of the year. So right, okay, yeah, that's sort of what I got going on. Great stuff, mate. Well, uh, all the very best with that. If you do do the Giro, I'll I'll be, I'll be there. So I shall uh, nice. Maybe I know it's a we're in this socially distant wo- distance world. All the teams are in the bubbles, but I'll, I'll give you a wave if I see you, mate. But uh, yeah, but nice. th- th- thanks thanks for your time, Lackley. It's been a it's been a joy. It really has. It's no been worries, a lot of fun. Mate. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. Um, take care of yourself and uh, and catch up soon, mate. Okay, thanks, mate. See ya. What a great attitude Lachlan has, loving his riding and carving his own path. And I hope he continues to do so for many more years to come. Thanks, as ever, to Perry Abgwyneth for the podcast theme tune. And thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod. And why not recommend it to a clothing optional patron who may frequent your local aptly named beach. Finally, a massive thanks again to Lachlan for taking some time out of his busy schedule to chat with us today. Cheers all, stay safe, goodbye and take care. Thank you.